probably because I went to a Christian college. And people would fall asleep in class. This was way better. We'd let them be asleep for 10 minutes or so, and then we'd tap them on the shoulder and go, He's asking you to pray. And the guy would go, Our Father, and the whole class would stop, and the teacher would go, and go Thank you. And it was just fun. So if somebody falls asleep, try it. Just in here, but all of my work is in your question. I need somebody to read. 11 verses, Acts 5, 1 through 11. Not now, but later. We will do that. Thank you, sir. Pass that back to the gentleman in the back. Is, is it Josh? Uh, back. No, it's Josh today. Josh? <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, and this time to read uh, Acts 4, 32 through 35. Acts 4, 32. Thank you, There you go. Okay. Um... So, when my oldest son was in youth group, he was like in ninth grade, he got to go into youth group. And uh, we went to this, uh, we were living in Atlanta at the time, and we went to this big youth rally. Uh, we took about 80 kids, and the speaker, of course, the speakers at youth rallies are like big emotional, and they're like, you know, everybody's convicted and they're crying. And so our youth minister took the, took the boys, we had about 40 boys into a room and, and the girls were network. And so all the guy chaperone, all the, the men chaperone with the boys. And I'm sitting up in the back with, with all the dads. And uh, the youth minister gets up in front of the guys and he goes, okay, guys, we've heard something really convicting here tonight. And it's, I know it's touched your heart, so it's time to confess. We're going to start confessing. Floor open. If you want to confess something, you can you can confess it, which is by the way not the environment in which to ask for confession. All right, that's a one-on-one kind of thing. Better, but anyway, that's what he did. So it's just obviously everybody was sitting around not saying anything. And finally, my son raised his hand, and I was like, Oh man, I'm I'm proud that he's being the leader, and I'm 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 the dad, right? I'm I'm hurt. Perfect, but you just dread the day when, when they experience that. Not make sure it's me. It is me. So I'm going to put it over here so it doesn't buzz on the table. Buzz on the so um, he raises his hand and he goes, Sometimes when I'm riding the car with my dad, and we pass by one of those hoodies before, and I'm going, Bless his heart. I knew there would come a day when he would he would succumb to temptation, when he would he would experience the thrill of sin and its bitter aftertaste. And now we're here. And so my heart's just breaking for him. And I know this is going to be a battle for the rest of his life. He goes, Sometimes when I'm in the car with my dad, and we pass by one of those movie billboards, I see my dad look at it out of the corner of his eye. <laughs> And 40 boys turn around and go, ooh, ooh, ooh. And are like, dude. You know? And so I went, okay, guys, I'm the preacher at this church, right? I go, guys, rule number one, confess your own sins, not the sins of other people. Anyway, that's on me. Um, we'll talk about confession here in just a 
second. There is one thing that is more ubiquitous on the internet than cat videos and funny videos of people at Walmart. And that is criticisms of Christianity and criticisms of the church. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. They're in atheist forums. Uh, they're ex-evangelical forums, ex-Baptist, ex-Church of Christ, ex-Presbyterian, ex-Methodist, ex-everything. And people just, they go on, I read these things because I, I, I like to hear what people are saying. I like to read things that I disagree with. I think that's good for us. I hope you will do that, read things, expose yourself to things that you're certain you're not going to agree with because it will challenge you. We stay in our own little echo chambers, political, social, religious, or otherwise, we never grow, we never stretch, we never change. So, anyway, I'll read these things. And they fall into about three different categories. So, the first category is the one that I, I consider the most legitimate category. And that is people who have been hurt by the church. And I'm thinking specifically about uh, the uh, child abuse and the cover-up scandals that happened in a lot of churches. I'm thinking about uh, abusive, not sexually abusive or physically abusive, but emotionally and spiritually abusive churches and pastors and preachers and leadership. Uh, and then there are those, uh, I consider abuse, the televangelists who guilt people who don't have it to give money so that they can buy $60 million debt so that they can spread the gospel faster. Uh, if, you, if you came to my house with a petition against all that stuff, I'd sign it. There are people who who are hurt by the church. Let me say a couple of things about that. If you have not yet been hurt by the church, or a church, or a Christian, you will be. One day you will be hurt. And the truth is, you will hurt somebody. I have been on both sides of it. I've been hurt by a church, and I have hurt a church. I have been damaged, and I have done damage. You live long enough, that's going to happen. Now, the question is, should there be people in the church who hurt other people? Yes and no. No, if we're living like Jesus, we, we won't be dangerous to be around. We won't be harmful. We won't hurt folks. But in Luke chapter 5, there are, uh, there are ten table sins in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus literally eats his way through the Gospel of Luke. And the first one, Luke chapter 5, he is having dinner with Matthew and a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees come along and say, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And he goes, well, it's not the healthy thing to doctor, is it? It's the sin. So our churches should have people who have been hurt and hurt people hurt people. If people have been hurt, they've been damaged, the likelihood is they're going to hurt somebody else because they've been hurt. I have told our church before, I've said this in the pulpit, I've said it in classes, I would love to have a, a dozen guys, women, standing on the front porch of our church Sunday morning between Sunday school and worship, vaping and smoking, because, because they're addicts and they need to smoke in between Sunday school and church. Because what that would say to people driving by and walking up would be, hey, that's a church where it's safe to be broken. That's a church where it's safe for people to struggle. I would love to see that in our church. I'm, I'm trying to get the elders by asterisk out on the front porch. Because the church needs to be a place where it's okay to be broken. So, if you've been hurt, and you, or, or when you're hurt, let me ask you to do this. Number one, ask yourself, was I hurt by the church or a church? What's the difference? 
the church universal didn't hurt me. A church did, or a Christian did, Christianity did. Make that distinction. And then the other thing is, and this is a hard one, when you've been hurt, when it, when it comes, I just want you to put this in a file and hang up, put it on the left Ask yourself, was it a Christian or Christianity? Was it a church or the church? And then I want you to do this. I want you to forgive. I want you to extend grace to those who didn't give grace with you. You needed grace and they punched you in the mouth. You needed somebody to stand between you and the consequences of a bad decision and all you got was a cold shoulder. When that happens, extend grace. Forgive them. Not for them. For you. Because unforgiveness is a burden you carry. Okay, that's the first category. People have been hurt. The second category of people that, that complain about the church and criticize the church uh, are people that confuse what happens on Sunday morning between 10 and 11 or 11 and 12 with church. They say things like, church is boring. My parents made me go to church when I was a kid. The songs are old. By the way, that song that we sang, Hicken and Trident, that, that's so old they don't even know when it was written. And they don't know who it was written. I think it was written by a guy that was on a mission to Native Americans, and he was sad because he was not home for the birth of his children, but they had no idea who the hell that song is. People complain, the songs are old, the preacher's bad, the songs are cheesy, church is cheesy. They confuse what happens between 10 and 11 with the church, and those are not the same thing. Here's the thing, church is not a point on a map. Church is not coordinates on a GPS. Church is not a date on the calendar, a date of the week, or an hour of the day. This is church. You are church. Next week, church is going to be going to class or going to work or living in the dorm or living in an apartment. You can't, you really cannot even go to church because church is not a place. Um, I try to use this phraseology with, with uh, our church back home. I try to say, I try to call it Sunday church or, or I, I try to call it coming to worship. But, but it, we are the church. If COVID taught us anything, it taught us that church is not in a building at an address. Okay? So that's the that's second criticism people have. And, and they confuse, uh, they think that the church is there for our, for, to make them comfortable. And the church is not there to make them comfortable. In fact, the more uncomfortable a church makes you, the more likely it is that church is doing its job. The church does have a mission, and they can mean you feel good is not in that mission. The church is supposed to challenge us, to convict us. Make it stronger. Okay, third category of criticism that I find on the internet, and this is maybe the most the church is a bunch of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Let's say two things about that. One, yes, there are hypocrites in church, but there is a difference between imperfection and hypocrisy. The only perfect church member is Jesus, the rest of us are imperfect. In fact, a prerequisite to getting into the church is admitting that you're not perfect. You, you have to admit, I don't deserve this. I don't qualify. There's nothing I can do to, to have a relationship with God. I, I don't deserve it. It's a gift. Pure and simple. You have to admit that. And all of us are going to be struggling from time to time. So just because you make mistakes doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. Imperfection is a part of it. The other thing I, I want to say about that, that complaint about hypocrisy is, I think to about 85% of the time, I think it's disingenuous. Because nobody has a problem with hypocritical truck drivers or pretentious plumbers or inauthentic atheists. I think people use it as a dodge. Even so, 
It's a legit, it's a legit criticism because there are hypocrites in church. And it may be one of the reasons that you, right now, are thinking about bailing on this whole church thing. Or one of the reasons you're kind of holding back from getting involved is you kind of see your parents or other adults or even some of your own peers who say one thing and do another. That inauthenticity is their taste in your mouth. And you're like, I'm not sure that's for me. If that's where you are, I got a story for you. Who's got Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11? Listen to this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied, you have not lied to just you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young then some young men came forward wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How, do you, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. You can wait now. Okay. <laughs> okay, so. Oh, dear. Okay. So, if I'm those young men, if I'm those young men, I'm like, I'm not going back, right? Because every time they showed up, somebody's dead. Ananias Sapphira was the first. Christian hypocrites, the first ones. And God killed them. Not only say that, get spin that. God executed Ananias and Sapphira. He slew them. That's hard. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes. We're going to explore why God did that. There's some reasons for it. Um, so, I think it's really important to establish this up front. God did not bring the hammer down on Ananias because they kept part of the money. It wasn't about the money. In fact, Peter says, wasn't it yours? You could have kept all of it. You didn't have to give any of it. You could have said, hey, we sold a piece of property and bought an RV. We're going to be driving around. We're going to go up Pigeon Forest and camp. You could have done that. It was your money, you could have done anything you wanted to with it. Money is not the issue. The issue was they pretended, they lied, they were inauthentic. Now, why would they do that? Okay, who's got the, uh, the uh, X4? Yeah, right, read that. Here's why they did it. Now, the whole group uh, of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership to share the same possessions, but everything great power of the apostles, the apostles gave their testimony 
great grace was upon me. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as own lands or houses were sold to them, and bought and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to them to each as any had need. Hey, Mr. Gunn, did you mention Barnabas there? I don't know if I mentioned him or not. Barnabas sold a piece of land. Uh, it was in place. Okay, all right. I wasn't listening. So there was um, there was this sort of organic generosity that welled up within the church. The people are selling stuff and they're bringing the money to the apostles, and the apostles are distributing it out to the people. And it, and it mentions Barnabas. He gets his name in the Bible, and Ananias and Sapphira are like, "Hey, we'd like to get our names in the Bible too for being generous." And so. Because that's because that's happening, they try to be generous. Okay, here's the thing that uh, and, uh, this is the thing. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Because this was an insight that blew my mind. Helps helps me understand hypocrisy and authenticity. Nobody pretends to possess a value unless that value is embraced by the community. Nobody pretends to possess a value unless that value is embraced by the community. Does anybody pretend to be a Georgia fan in Knoxville? No. Does anybody pretend to be a volunteer fan in Athens, Georgia? No. Does anybody pretend to be an Auburn fan in Tuscaloosa or an Alabama fan in Auburn? No, no, no. You know where people pretend to be volunteer fans? In Knoxville. You know where people pretend to be Georgia fans? In Athens. They pretend to be Bama fans in Tuscaloosa. They pretend to be Auburn fans in Auburn. Because those loyalties are valued in those communities. So Ananias and Sapphira pretend to be generous because generosity is valued in that community. Now, the title of this, this morning's session is The Upside of Hypocrisy. There's only one upside. Hypocrisy reveals the values of a community. So if, if, if you guys are like, man, we really believe in prayer. We're like, oh, prayer is so important. We just love prayer. But you don't really pray a lot. You just kind of pretend like you're a prayer. What, what you're saying is prayer is value in this, in, this, in this group. Or if you think honesty is a value in this group, you pretend to be honest or whatever. Hypocrisy is, is a window. Remember how I told you that your emotions are gauges last night? Hypocrisy is a little bit of a gauge, too. It tells you what a community values. And if people are pretending to be that, they must, that must be the, a, a value that, that community holds. So if you are offended by, by somebody's hypocrisy, what that may tell you is that you may have more in common with that group or that church because they're pretending to embrace the value you think is important, apparently it's important to that community, that church, that group. Okay? I just think that's interesting. So let's ask this question. Why? We're, only, we're going to be done here pretty quickly. Okay? I'm going to give you a roadmap. We're not going to be here long. Let me give you three reasons why God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Reason number one, God is offended at hypocrisy. If you are offended by hypocrisy, you and God have something in common. That's a godly attitude of yours. If you're offended, that's godly, because God is offended. We're not going to read it right now, but sometime you need to read Matthew 23. 
Seven times, Jesus uses the same phrase, Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you hypocrites. He does that over and over. And that when Jesus says woe, it's not like, oh, woe to you. It's not like, sad, sad for you. Woe is an announcement of judgment. He is, he is he's basically saying you're damned. You are, you are damned, you hypocrites. That's how angry God gets about hypocrisy. So if you're offended by hypocrisy, God is offended by, by hypocrisy. Uh, the second thing, hypocrisy hurts the health of the church. God is offended by hypocrisy, and he killed Ananias and Sapphira because their hypocrisy was a threat to the health of the church. Years ago, there was a couple of guys named Christakis and I can't remember the other author's name, Fowler, who wrote a book called Connected. And they, they, they did a bunch of studies, and they they uh, surveyed a bunch of studies that had been done by other people. And, and the whole the whole book was about human networks. And one of the things they discovered was, uh, we all know that we're affected by our friends, right? What they discovered was that you're not just affected by your friends. You're, you are affected by your friends' friends, even if you don't know them, especially if you don't know them. So if your friend has a friend that you don't know, and that friend starts getting serious about exercise and, and getting in shape and losing weight, your chances of getting serious about exercise and losing weight and getting in shape go up astronomically. Obviously, all my friends' friends are not into exercise, okay? But they pointed out that we are influenced by people we don't even know. At this point in the book of Acts, scholars think that the church numbered about 8,000. That's about how many people they think were in church this point in Acts. So what kind of threat would two people pose to 8,000? It's just two people out of 8,000. And it's not like they had social media. It's not like they were on you know, Facebook all the time or Instagram or Twitter talking about what they've done. It would have been very few people would have known about it. Okay? How many of you have heard of, have heard of Wuhan, China two years ago? Have you heard of it maybe? But here's a, here's a town in China that most of us didn't even know existed. One outbreak, and how many people are on the planet right now? Seven billion, is that, is that right? Seven billion people are affected by something that happened in one remote town in China. You got a network of computers, one of them is malware. They can all be affected. The thing about hypocrisy is it goes viral, and here's how it happens. If you're honest, if you and I are part of a group like this, and you're honest about your struggle, and you you know you say, yeah, you know what, sometimes I struggle with not being disciplined in prayer. I, I think prayer is important, but I, I don't think I never do. Or you say, you know what, I struggle with my thought life. I've got some thoughts in my head that I know are not appropriate. I, I struggle with those. If if you if you're that open, if you're that transparent, if you're that consistent and that authentic, what that tells me is. You're safe. I can trust you. And so because you were honest, I can be honest with you. The, the, the most comforting words in the English language, the most comforting <laughs> words are me too. So when you come clean about your stuff, then I can go, me too. I, I struggle with that too. And then what happens is we can pray for each other. We can hold each other accountable. 
We can help each other escape the grip of sin. We can help each other escape the guilt and shame of sin. We can help each other escape the consequences of sin. And then what happens is other people in our network, in our group, see that and they go, wow, that, those guys are safe. Maybe, maybe I could be safe. And so they begin to talk about their stuff. And other people go, wow, you're, you're being transparent. Maybe I should be transparent with you. I can trust you. And it kind of goes like this. And pretty soon what we've got is a very healthy group where people are honest and open and transparent and authentic. But if you're not honest, if you're not transparent, and you're not authentic, if you're pretending, and I find out, and I'll find out, pretenders are always found out. You can't pretend forever. And you guys, at your age, particularly got a nose for pretension. You'll figure it out. And when you figure out somebody's being pretentious, when you figure out somebody's not being authentic, you go, hmm, they're not safe. You might you might think this consciously. But there's something in you that goes, hmm, that's, that's not a safe person because they're not coming clean. They're pretending. And since they're not safe, since they're not coming clean, you don't feel safe coming clean. And so you've got to hide your stuff, and other people see you hiding, and so they hide their stuff. And other people see them hiding, and so they hide their stuff. And pretty soon, the whole church is pretending. Why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Because later he wanted James to write in James chapter 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may. That word healed in Greek is therapeutic, from which we get our word therapy. It is therapeutic to say, here's my faith. I need help. God killed an Ananias and fire because later on he wanted John to write in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the church is full of people who pretend, if the church is full of hypocrites, then we're not going to feel safe confessing. If we don't confess, we're not going to be cleansed of our unrighteousness. If we're not cleansed, we're not going to be hateful. Hypocrisy ruins the health of the church. Honesty, authenticity makes the church healthy. Okay, last thing. And this may be the most important. If God killed my nice and fire, because hypocrisy is a threat to evangelism. Uh, I don't think I gave anybody this verse. Matthew chapter 23, verse 18. It's worth looking at the reading here. Matthew chapter 23, verse 18. This is in that section. Did I give somebody that verse? I don't think I did. Okay. This is uh, 23, 13. This is that section where Jesus is pronouncing the woes on the teachers and Pharisees. And here's the very first one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Hypocrisy shuts the door of the kingdom of God in people's faces. I don't, I don't know if your group has a real passion for reaching people at the University of Tennessee. As a Georgia fan, I can tell you that People here need to be reached for the Lord. Okay. Any degrees of that is right? You are not going to win people at UT with arguments. I don't know of anybody, maybe it happens, but I don't know of anybody that's ever been argued into 
you are not going to win people to Jesus with a slick marketing campaign. I think marketing matters. I think how we present the church matters. But that's not going to win people. You're not going to win people with, with uh, being the coolest group on campus. Uh, that's not going to happen. You're only going to win people to Jesus if you're real, if you're authentic. That's the only way it's going to happen. Let me leave you with a prayer, and then we get on with the rest of our day. Anything you want to say before I pray? Lord, I want to thank you for this group, for this expression of your church. And I have watched them and I've noted how they laugh a lot together, they enjoy one another. And I would pray that you would fill every heart in this room with the courage to be real with each other, to develop a relationship with somebody in this room that is safe and open and honest so that they can to one another and be healed. And I pray that that honesty and that authenticity will go viral in this group and then on the campus of the University of Tennessee. And that people will see not that this is a you know the coolest group or the smartest group or whatever, but this is this is the healthiest group. This is the group that's been healed. We'll be drawn to that. We'll be drawn to Jesus living. I pray right now for somebody in this room that's struggling with something right now. It's a burden that they are carrying and it's just weighing their hearts down. I don't know what it is that somebody in this room is struggling with something. And right now I pray that you would fill them with a sense of your presence and that they would know they are not alone. Give them the courage to reach out to somebody. Bless the blessings for the rest of I don't know if this mattered or not. You may at some point in the future need somebody to talk to that's not your campus minister, that is not your parents. It's just somebody that would care and listen. Jason knows how to get in touch with me. So if you ever need somebody to talk to, I got two ears. I just want to make that available. Once again, you're really good listening.